What's the difference between a rebel, an upholder, an obliger, and a questioner? We'll find out on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the Internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Please that you are joining us wherever you are in the world, however you may be listening. Thank you for making us a part of your day. Thank you for making Live Happy Magazine a part of every other month. You can get a new print edition at uh, Barnes & Noble or wherever fine magazines are sold. You can also get the digital edition. It's available on the Google Play Store and at the Apple Store, so you can put it on whatever device you prefer and take it with you wherever. There's also all kinds of uh, special features on the digital edition edition. So we encourage you to get that. We also encourage you to stay uh, subscribed to this podcast because we got some fantastic stuff coming up, including this show. Gretchen Rubin is joining us, the author of several books, uh, including the New York Times bestseller, Better Than Before, The Happiness Project and Happier at Home. Her newest book, The Four Tendencies, is about personality framework she devised that divides people into four personality profiles. So welcome to the Live Happy Podcast. This week we have one of our favorite guests, and we haven't had the opportunity to speak with her in a while, but I'm super excited to have best-selling author Gretchen Rubin on the podcast today. Gretchen, welcome. I'm so happy to be talking to you. So you've got a new book coming out, and it's something that I know you've talked about a lot in the past, and I'm excited for people to finally get to read this book, because I, I think it's a really fascinating topic for our listeners. It's called The Four Tendencies, the indispensable personality profiles that reveal how to make your life better and other people's lives better, too. Can you tell us how this book came about? Well, you know, I'd been thinking about happiness for years, and I had become very interested in when I was writing my book, Better Than Before, in the role that habits can play in helping us to be happier, healthier, more creative, and more productive. And as I was thinking about patterns of how people can and can't successfully change habits, I began to notice these really big sort of deep patterns and ways that people would keep saying the same thing to me or have the same response, which often to me didn't really ring, didn't really resonate. And I was trying to figure that out. And then a friend said something that just like blew my mind. She said, I know I would be happier if I exercised. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And this, to me, on the one hand, was a very familiar kind of frustration. I'd heard a lot of people say similar things. But on the other hand, it just blew my mind. Why was she struggling? And trying to understand what was at the heart of her frustration really led me to understanding a bunch of patterns which ended up all making sense when I put them into this four tendencies framework. Um, so it really came out of my like constant thinking of, like, why do people why do we do what we do and and why do we sometimes can't do what we want to do 
That's the mystery. <laughs> and it's a difficult one to resolve, I think, for a lot yeah. of us. Yeah. I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit and say one of my challenges is that I actually, after taking the quiz, I actually live in the rebel quadrant of your four tendencies, <laughs> which... Uh, yeah, and I, I understand that uh, that's probably the least common from, from reading the book. Few, fewer people yeah. live there. But can you tell us a little bit about about what each of the tendencies are and just kind of a, just give us a general guideline? Yeah, yeah. So this has to do with how you respond to expectations. So we all face outer expectations like a work deadline or inner expectations like our own desire to keep a New Year's resolution. So they're upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels like you. Um, so upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They keep the work deadline. They meet the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what's expected of them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Then questioners. Questioners question all expectations. So they really make everything into an inner expectation. If something meets their inner standard, they will do it, no problem. But if they think something's arbitrary or inefficient or unjustified, they will resist. Then there are obligers, and that's like my friend on the track team. When they have, um, they respond readily to outer expectations, but they struggle with inner expectations. So when my friend had a team and a coach waiting for her, she had no trouble showing up. But when she was just trying to go running on her own, it was a challenge. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. If you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. Uh, typically, they don't even like to tell themselves what to do. They always want to act from choice and from freedom and to express their identity and what they're doing. Um, now, usually people can kind of get a sense of, of what they are and the people around them are just from a brief description. But there is a quiz online if you want to take a quick quiz um, at happiercast.com slash quiz uh, for people who like to sort of t get an official answer. How did you discover these particular categories? What, what did you do to actually say these are the four and that there aren't five or there aren't six? Mm. How did you arrive well, at this? Well, it was very, very difficult. It's probably the most intellectually challenging thing I've ever done in my whole life because what was happening was that I was sensing patterns, but I didn't know if these patterns were related to each other or, or what they meant. They were just like loose, thing, loose things that I'd noticed. Like, why was it that some people, when I said, oh, how do you feel about New Year's resolution? They said, oh, I would never keep a New Year's resolution because January 1st is an arbitrary date. I was like, that's interesting that so many people give that specific answer because, like, the arbitrariness of January 1st doesn't bother me. Or people would say to me, well, I can always make time for other people, but I can't make time for myself. And I think, that's funny because I don't have any trouble making time for myself. <laughs> um, or, like, with the Happiness Project, people kept saying to me, well, how did you get yourself to do all these things? And I would say, well, I knew they would make me happier to follow all these resolutions, so I did them. And then they would say, but how did you get yourself to do them? And I'm like, I don't understand your question. <laughs> um, or then there were the people who, um, when, I, like, when I was writing my book about habits, really were like, how would you write a book about habits? It's such like a loathsome topic. Nobody likes habits. And I was like, I love habits. I, to me, there's a, such a positive association with habits. So all these things were sort of floating around in my mind. I was trying to make sense of it, and I couldn't. And then one day, like, Eureka, I was looking at my to-do list of all things, and I real, I, for the first time, identified this core question of how do you respond to expectations. And the minute I focused on expectations, I began to see there are outer expectations and inner expectations. Once I had that crucial insight, 
Well, then it makes sense that there are four tendencies. There can only be four because there's inner, inner, outer, inner, outer, outer, inner, outer. You know, they like they fit together and everything started. It was like the, the perfect puzzle that came together. It had the elegance of nature. If you look at a graph of them, you see how they all relate to each other. Um, kind of the way a fern frond can, will unfurl. Like it's, it has this kind of elegant perfection. Um, and, and for months after I had figured it out, I was trying to poke holes in it. I'd be like, but what about this? And what about this? And is this an exception? Or how do you account for this kind of behavior? And I realized that it, it, everything was accounted for. Everything fit into the model, um, which was, you know, incredibly thrilling, um, but very, very hard. So where do. where do you fit into the model? Where do you I'm live? an upholder. You're... I'm an upholder. And I think one of the reasons, and, and you as a rebel and I as an upholder, these are the small tendencies. They're kind of the extreme personality types. Most people are obli- obliger is the biggest and then questioner. And I think it was sort of an advantage for me in, in seeing this because so much of what people did didn't ring true for me. I'm like, why do people say this? Why do people do this? I don't get it. And so I think I noticed it more. Um, whereas if you're an obliger, you see so many people doing the same thing that you're doing, you think like, well, this is the way everybody is. And I'm like, mm, it's not the way everybody is because I'm not like that. Um, so I'm, I am definitely an upholder. Take a glimpse into the world of applied positive psychology with the Flourishing Center podcast. Each episode includes three sections giving you insights and hacks into living an authentically happy and flourishing life. In the first segment, Science Says, you'll uncover new research in positive psychology and how to apply the science to your life. In the second segment, we showcase a life hack which is proven and practical, and you can do it today to boost your productivity and well-being. In the third segment, we enter the practitioner's corner where we interview positive psychology practitioners. Guests include teachers, parents, therapists, entrepreneurs, managers, coaches, doctors, teenagers, and others who've been trained in positive psychology and are applying the science in unique ways in their unique sectors of the world. One of my favorite parts of the books is actually at the very end, and it's in the acknowledgments, and it's the questions you ask yourself, right? Or the flash evaluation for Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies. You know, it's after the appendix. But one of my favorite parts, being a rebel, is when you look at the, for each tendency, one question matters most. This is where it really resonated with me, because to be honest, when I looked at your categories and I, and I tested a rebel, I'm like, no, that's not really me. I thought I was more of an upholder. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I I'm successful in business. I'm successful in my personal life. I do. You know, I I, I do the right things because I choose to do them. Mm -hmm. um, And I think they're the right thing. So I kept thinking I should be an upholder. Right. But I'm a rebel. And this is the part that really solidified it for me. I frequently ask myself this question before I do something. Is this the person I want to be? And that, that just really struck me right where. You know, it counts because that is how I've made a lot of decisions in college, as I, as, I, as I got older, as I met my spouse. Is this the life I want to be? Is this who I want to be? And, and that's really my guiding decision. And so for upholders, it's should I do this? Question, mm-hmm. Questioners, it's does this make sense? And obligers is does this matter to anyone else? And, and my spouse is an obliger. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I'm a rebel. And, uh, and, and those just both resonated as I think you're really on to something. Well, it's interesting that you're a rebel and you're partnered with, a, with an obliger because, as I talk about in the book, you know, I go through all the different pairings and kind of the, pot, the strengths and weaknesses of different pairings. But the most, the most conspicuous pattern in pairings is that when you see a rebel and they are paired with somebody, whether in romance or at work, like two founders or something, 
they, it, that is very, very prevalent, is that you will have a rebel who is paired with an obliger. There are, there's rebels who are paired with questioners and upholders, certainly, but that's much less common. And so it makes sense that as a rebel that you would be paired with an obliger. Um, and it's interesting to me, fascinating to me as an upholder, that rebels sometimes think that they're upholders. Because to me, I'm like, oh, my gosh, how could you possibly get that confused? <laughs> but you're right, because to a certain kind of rebel, they're like, I'm doing everything that I expect for myself. And therefore, I'm like an upholder because I'm perfectly executing on everything. But it's really coming from, as you point out, it's coming from a very profoundly different place, um, although it can look the same. Which is, which is a good example of you, you can't know someone's tendency from looking at what they do because two people could be doing the same thing but from completely different perspectives. You have to understand their thinking. What, what's their perspective? What's their attitude about what they're doing? That's how you understand their tendency. Well, once you know your tendency, how does this help you um, plan your life? How does this help you get along in the world better or, 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 or make, make yourself happier? Well, you know, the thing is that when we don't understand what is frustrating us or causing conflict, it's hard to solve it. And I think a lot of times people, like there's something that's frustrating them or, 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 or making them like, you know, rub up in the wrong way against somebody else. Maybe it's somebody at work, maybe it's somebody at home, maybe it's yourself, you're frustrated with yourself. If you, if you don't understand what the problem is, it's hard to have the quick, efficient solution. And I think a lot of times the four tendencies can really spotlight maybe patterns that have been hidden from you, and then it's much easier to fix it because you see, oh, well, here's just, I'll just solve this instead of, like, casting about. And a great example of this, I think the, the biggest example of this is with obligers. So an obliger, by definition, is someone who readily meets outer expectation and struggles to meet inner expectations. And this is very frustrating for obligers because they're like, why is it that I never let down my boss or my family, but I, I let myself down? Now, there's a very quick and easy fix for an obliger who's struggling to meet inner expectations, which by definition they are. You, you build in outer accountability. That is so simple, and there's a thousand ways to build in outer accountability. And one of my favorite things in writing The Four Tendencies was learning about all the imaginative, resourceful ways that obligers build in outer accountability. But they have to know what to do. They have to know that that is what they need. So, for instance, take my friend who couldn't exercise. Once she, knew, once, I, once she knows she's an obliger, she can say, okay, I need outer accountability to do this running. So I'm going to run with a friend, or I'm going to run with my dog who's going to be so disappointed if she doesn't get her exercise, or I'm going to sign up for a class with a teacher who's going to notice if I don't show up, or I'm going to sign up for a class where if I don't show up, I've taken the spot of somebody else who then doesn't get to exercise, or I'm going to pay, or I'm going to work out with a trainer, or I'm going to join an accountability group where we're all going to cheer each other on and look over each other's shoulders. I'm going to think of my duty to be a role model for my children. I want to model good behavior. I'm keeping my promises to myself. I'm showing the importance of exercise in a healthy life. They need to see me doing that. They need to see me living that. I'm going to raise money for a charity by running, like doing a half marathon, and this is a charity that I really believe in, and if I don't do it, they're not going to get as much money. All these are very simple, easy ways to have accountability. But you have to understand that that's what's necessary because a lot of times obligers say things like, I just need to work on my motivation. I need to learn how to put myself first. I need to stop beating myself up. Oh, if I quit my demanding job, then I would have time to exercise because I wouldn't have to be working all the time. <laughs> no, but see, with obligers, they often make a very big mistake by thinking if they would get rid of the weight of outer expectations, then they would automatically meet their inner expectations. 
It doesn't work like that. Quitting that job will not mean that you will now exercise if there's no other form of that or accountability. So when you know what the problem is, and this is true of upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels, once you know what the, what's at issue, then it's easy to see ways to fix it. If you misdiagnose it, you use the wrong medicine, and then it's not effective, and then you get frustrated. So that's, I think, how the four tendencies can really help. You have some interesting questions on the back of the book. One of the questions really struck me because this is something that I try and help people with because I, as a manager of a, of a large company, I always get the, how can I help someone else do something? How can I get someone else to do what I want? And the question in the back of the book is, how can I help someone to follow good advice? I'm really curious what the answer to that question is because how do you change others? Yeah, well, the sad fact is you can't change anybody else. You can only change yourself. That is one of the sad truths of happiness. Um, but what you can do, I think one of the things, one of the ways that the tendencies helps is you can understand how people are different from you because it's very easy as we go through life to just assume without even consciously thinking it that people basically see the world the way we do and they basically have the same reaction to things. Well, this is just not true, and the four tendencies will show it. And when you understand that and you see how other people might need situations to be set up differently, then you can accommodate that in a way that's going to allow people to do a better job. So let's take you for an example as a rebel leader. So you are clearly a very considerate and ambitious rebel, and so you want to do the right things for your team, and you want to do things that are going to allow you to succeed. But you still have your rebel tendency in there, and, and probably you're assuming that other people are more or less experiencing the same kind of um, rebel outlook that you are. So you might, in talking to people, emphasize you just need to want it. You just need to think about what you want and how you're going to go after what you want. This is not something that is going to re- resonate particularly with upholders, questioners, and, rebel, and, and obligers. Obligers need accountability. So, but you as a rebel may not want to hold them accountable because rebels don't like accountability. They don't like people looking over their shoulders. They don't like people telling them what to do. So often rebels don't like to impose accountability or they don't want the trouble. It's a lot of effort to hold people accountable. It's a lot of work. They don't want to do it. So then they're not providing that in a work environment, even for people who might want it or thrive better if they had it. Same thing with questioners. Often people who are not questioners are kind of drained and overwhelmed with how much information questioners want. And, you know, you're just like, you know what? I don't, I don't have time for this. Like, we need to get going. Like, what, you know, but the question is like, well, I'm not going to do it until I understand why. And then you have a conflict. Whereas if you understand, well, this is a questioner who just has needs to understand why we're making this decision, I'm going to just make sure that these, this, is, this, is, this, is, um, this is provided. And then upholders, well, one thing that's very interesting about upholders and rebels, and I don't know if you experience this, is rebels often really like spontaneity. They like doing things when they feel like it. They like a lot of change. They're very flexible in their thinking and in their approach. This is not true of upholders. Upholders tend to really like schedules and routines and to-do lists, and they like to execute. They like to plan and go through their plan. So these are very fundamentally different ways of setting things up. So a rebel might be like, hey, guys, you know what? We need to have a staff meeting right now because we're all talking about this. We're just wasting our time. Let's, like, all get in here and sit down and thrash it out. And the upholders like, uh, no. I mean, uh, from 3 to 5 o'clock, I was planning to work on the annual report. And, like, if I, I mean, how can we do this now? How can we have a staff meeting at the last minute? I need to work on my report, you know. So you see how, okay, this person's pushing back. Well, it's not because they're – they just have a different way of thinking about their time. This doesn't appeal to them. The last-minute ad hoc meeting um, for them makes them feel very 
unsettled and uneasy. So again, it's like, it's not that hard to set things up or to understand once you understand how people are seeing it from their own tendencies perspective. I'm laughing, and so is Nikki, who's worked for me for a few years now, because you have just described our work environment. Really? Tell yes. Oh, how cool. I love it. Tell me more. <laughs> well, I, I am the person who, when everybody's talking in the hallway, I'm like, hey, we're going to get in a room, we're going to talk about this now, because I'm tired of everybody talking about it. I, I thrive on change, and I don't always remember that all of my staff doesn't thrive on change. Don't get me wrong. We work well together as a team, and, you know, we got a great team throughout throughout the organization, uh, both companies that I, I, I run. You know, tons of change happens, and it's all, it's all really thought out. But my key lieutenants have to be more the upholder types, and they have to be more soft skill on, no, we need structure. Deborah, we can't just do that right now. <laughs> We've got to change. Right. And, and I'm looking at Nikki going, huh, you know, this, th- we've had some conversations about this over the last few weeks. Maybe this is the challenge. Maybe I should have everybody on staff understand where they reside in this, uh, in this matrix. Because well, and what's interesting is, like, if you're thinking about putting together teams, it's like, uh, of course, you're going to have more conflict when you have people of different tendencies, but you're also going to have different strengths to bring to it. And so, you know, you can see these as, this is like the positive and the negative. Oh, well, we have this, not everybody sees everything the way I do, and that can be annoying, but of course not everybody sees everything the way I do, and that's positive because you don't want to just have this very narrow tunnel vision of things because everybody agrees and everybody sees the world in the same way. But I think when you have the four tendencies, then you're like, okay, well, I see why this is coming up. So how can we, or how can we even just laugh about this? You know, sometimes if you just have vocabulary for it and you're like, here I am, I just want to do things right away. Now I know it's going to drive you crazy. You know, and somebody's like, hey, you know what? Of course it's going to drive me crazy. You know, and, and then it's sort of like, there's nothing, it's not that I'm right and you're wrong or something's wrong with me or I should be different or you should be different. It's just like, we're just coming from different places. Let's figure out a, a way to create an environment where we can all thrive. This is turning into a, a counseling session for Deborah Heist. I love it. <laughs> if, love it. If, if I have one tendency that probably drives half of my team the most nuts is that I am absolutely the antithesis of a micromanager because I hate it. I want to give people yeah. objectives and have them figure out how to do it. And some people run and some people it paralyzes them until they come back and ask questions. And I'm of course, wanting to help. I answer those questions and we get things moving, but I, I would have to say that it makes people feel sometimes like they're walking around on quicksand because they aren't exactly sure of uh, how they're going to do something. And I'm, I'm kind of, oh, well, you'll figure it out. It'll be okay. <laughs> and, and that's not necessarily what they need to hear. <laughs> but see, that's a perfect example because for an upholder and an obliger, they like to know what the expectations are. Um, because they respond readily to outer expectations. But as a rebel, you probably do better when someone's like, here's a big goal. I don't know how to get there. You're the one who has the chops to figure this out. Go away for a month. Let me know what you find out. And you're like, excellent. I'll roll up my sleeves. I'll get right on this. Don't look over my shoulder. Don't tell me how to do it. I'm going to do this my way, and I'm going to blow you away with what a great job I'm going to do. But for some people, they're like, what? Like, <laughs> There's no, there's no structure. There's no accountability. Like this, this, this is too open. How do you even um, do that? <laughs> yeah. And so, so again, it's like realizing, well, an environment in which you would thrive might not be the environment in which someone else would thrive. Or like when you know yourself, you can think about it as you walk into a work situation. So somebody, uh, an obliger I know said, 
I told, when I was interviewing, I said, I need a tough boss. I do better with a demanding boss. Is this an environment with a very demanding boss? She knew. She would do better work if she had somebody who was really on her. So she was searching for that kind of work environment. She wanted a demanding kind of managerial boss, of which there are many, but not you. You are not that managerial boss. So it's good for somebody to know, like, this isn't the environment that this is going to be, um, and so we can work with it, or maybe this isn't a good match for your skill set and your vibe and what this company needs from the people who are working here. You know, And it's fine. It's like... That's okay. People are different. I love it. I love it. I could probably talk to you for hours on this, and thank you for the free counseling today. We genuinely appreciate it here at Live Happy. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm sitting here going, how could I ever have thought I was an upholder? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's funny, right? (laughs) Yeah, it is. This has been fantastic. What comes next? You on a book tour or doing? Uh... I have a book tour, so I'm going to be traveling around the country, and my uh, schedule is on um, GretchenRubin.com. Um, I still have my pod. You know, I'm still working on my podcast every week with my sister, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Yep. And we've been doing a lot of talking about the tendencies there, which is a lot of fun. And um, I've I've got a bunch of different ideas, um, all of which seem equally appealing, but I cannot write all of them simultaneously. <laughs> so I'm going to have to over the course of the next couple months, figure out um, uh, what, I, what I really want to dig into next, because uh, there's a lot of things that I'm so interested in. Um, it's kind of hard to narrow it down just yet, but it, I'll get there. I always do. Um, usually I have like a giant lightning bolt that comes out of the head and hits me. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, um, I have faith that that will happen again. <laughs> well, we love your podcast. We listen to it here in the office. If people haven't checked that out, they need to check out your podcast. And we really appreciate you being on. I'm super excited for you. I love the book. And thank you so much for making the time today. Thank you. It's so much fun to talk to you. All right. Take care. If you would like to take the Four Tendencies quiz, visit livehappynow.com. And while you are online, we encourage you to reach out. This is not a one-way conversation. You can find us on Twitter at livehappy, facebook.com slash livehappy. You can even send us an email, podcast at livehappy.com. That's it for this episode. But for everybody here at Live Happy Magazine and the Live Happy Now podcast, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long. Thank you for helping us to live happy.